0: what's going on guys welcome to or welcome back to consuming crime it's your host Jules here it has been a long time hi how are you I actually think it's been over a year or just at a year I logged on the other day I saw people are tuning in and now I feel like I should check in and do an episode or two or three I'm not even gonna hit you with an excuse I'm just gonna hit you with the content if you guys get curious about what the hell had me away for a whole year I'll make a video on that but for now let's just get into today's story so i am continuing to cover homicide hunter with joe kenda and i believe the episode so it's on discovery plus his show is also available on other platforms i think i saw it on hulu um, but definitely i saw this on discovery plus this episode was called primal fear but i am calling it blood over water i actually took the notes and watched this case a year ago and I was planning on recording it um but I just I just didn't and I do remember the story but I obviously have to go through my notes cuz I don't want to mispronounce any names miss you know get any of the dates wrong anything like that and I did do a total of three but today I'm going to be doing that one this case takes place back in 1995 on November 9th at Sierra High School in South Colorado Springs classes are ending and the students are preparing to hang out and grab some snacks Amy Hodges who is a manager at a convenience store less than a block away from the school prepares for the afternoon rush of high schoolers. And this was usually between the hours of 2 and 7 p.m. after school. Being interviewed now in the documentary, she accounts that it was just a regular day at the store and everything was okay until a car sped into the parking lot and two male teenagers ran out of the car and one of them, or both of them, were covered in blood. And they'd go in the store, run inside, and say something really bad just happened. While calling the police, Amy, the store clerk, hears gunshots. She waits a little bit and eventually peeks her head up to see another car in the parking lot, slowly driving away. Both of the boys that ran in, the ones that had blood on them, didn't have any visible wounds on them, so it was clear that there was probably someone they were taking care of outside that had been wounded. The two boys run back outside and Amy gets up to see where they went. They go into the back seat of their car and drag out another boy around their age, high school age. His body was completely limp and he was drenched in blood they place him on the hood of the car as if attempting to wake him up but unfortunately he was gone as Amy gets closer she realizes that she recognizes this kid he was a 14 year old and his name was JL Jackson short for James Leonard a lot of the names were changed in the documentary for privacy purposes but this was the name that the documentary gave out according to her he was one of the good kids and he was also a regular at the store he never gave her any issues, no anger, no violence, none of that She was thinking, why would anyone want to kill someone so young? And it seemed to be for no apparent reason. Kids do act differently in front of their peers than in front of adults. You know, if a kid is involved with drug activity or they're violent, you can usually tell as an adult, and this clearly was not that. After a few moments, a young woman runs up to the victim, screaming and in disbelief. It was JL's sister, Julie. Julie Allen is being interviewed now. She accounts that it was a terrible moment, it was brutal, and there were parts of his brain outside of his skull. I don't know if I should do trigger warnings for a podcast because you guys know it's true crime and it involves stuff like that. Let me know if you would like to, but from here going forward, I will only be doing trigger warnings for things like sexual assault. But let me know if you want me to do anything else. Sexual assault, anything involving children, I will give you a warning for. But because of seeing this on his body... This is how she knew that he wasn't coming back. Ambulances arrive on the scene and take Joel to the nearest hospital, but it was no use. He was pronounced dead shortly after arriving at the hospital. A frantic dispatcher calls Lieutenant Jokenda onto the scene, and he is told there has been a fatal shooting across town. Lieutenant Kendo brings along Detective Derek Graham. Graham had been a patrol officer of the area. They were being dispatched for about nine years, so he knew the area very well, and I'm sure he knew the kids, too. The first thing they notice is the back window was blown out, so this was most likely the result of gunfire. There was a lot of blood in the back seat, about a half an inch deep of blood they described, and on the hood of the car as well, where his body had been. The victim suffered at least one gunshot wound to the head. Kenda and his team are being briefed on the events leading to the scene. Upon learning the age of the victim, Kenda thinks to himself, Oh man, I hate these i i don't know why i notated that besides maybe the fact that it's these like there's more than one and like we know there's more than one but lieutenant Jokenda only works a certain area so it's really sad that he's constantly dealing with teenagers being killed according to him it is difficult to find a motive when a victim is unlikely to have a nefarious past so that was the other thing when they're young They're less likely to have enemies because they don't have as much life experience. So it's like who could hate a 14 year old kid at 14 years old? How much of a trail could he have left? And is it enough for someone to want him dead? When speaking to Amy and Julie, Kenda figured out pretty quickly that JL was a well-liked and well-behaved kid. Julie says that he was an awesome brother. He would antagonize her a little bit, just as little brothers do, but she only loved him more for it being interviewed now is his father joseph jackson jl was born with multiple sclerosis and for those of you that don't know i did note it here ms is a potentially disabling disease of the brain and spinal cord other than a slight limp this autoimmune disease did not slow him down nor did it make him any less positive good for you he told his dad one day i want to be just like you back at the scene kenda is still looking around with his team Another car pulls up and a Hispanic man steps out. Julie yells, that man shot my brother, that's the same car. She's very emotional, very upset, and she is adamant, that is the man that shot my brother. Being interviewed now, she only accounts saying that he had something to do with it, so she doesn't remember saying that that was him now in the interview. Immediately, this man is swarmed by people, they're angry, they want to know why, how, who, and most of all, they just want to beat his ass surrounding detectives needed to take control of the situation they start pinning people down in order to get everyone under control soon enough kenda and his team are able to get the situation more organized the name of the man identified as the shooter is george rodriguez i i kind of figured that this wasn't the guy that did the killing because one it's a documentary they're not going to release the mystery this soon that's just not how they do it and two I don't think he would shoot somebody and then show up to the scene with all those cops there unless it was an accident but clearly it doesn't look like it was an accident George tells Kenda he just got off work and wanted to head into the store real quick for a snack he knows nothing about what is happening so I don't know why Julie thinks that or thought that Kenda's team checks this guy out where he works what time he got off those sorts of things and this was definitely a case of mistaken identity Now it's time for Kenda to circle back and speak to Julie. Girl, I know you're upset, but why? (laughs) He is a little bit upset at the situation that just happened, but now Julie is saying, well, she was pretty sure that was the guy. So from sure to pretty sure. And yeah, he's a little frustrated, but he's a detective, so he's got to move on and go somewhere else to see who might have done this. She does offer some other information, though. One of the guys involved in confronting George, 16 year old Moses Cooley, was the driver of the car that JL was in. So remember, this is Moses Cooley. He is obviously friends with JL, the victim. I'm sure, he'll have more to offer since he was driving the car. Julie tells Kenda that the two boys had gotten into a fight that day, not with each other, but with another group of kids. It was during lunch and the boys were told that there was going to be trouble. Allegedly, the other kids told them that we're going to shoot you after school. And this is definitely not taken lightly in this situation. The problem with this, according to Kenda, is most kids have a code of silence. Don't tell adults what is going on. To find out what happened is going to be a very long road detectives needed to talk to moses and moses is not super helpful he says he doesn't remember who he fought with that day which is bullshit come on like not remembering the shooter i can see that because you're driving you're frantic you're currently being traumatized your friend just got shot in the back like totally get that but you don't remember who you got into a fight with at lunch okay boo which is is beyond me because this is your friend If you know that they could have something to do with your friend being shot, open your mouth. Let me not even get started. He does tell officers that after school, him, JL, and some other friends got in the car together to drive around. A car pulled up behind them, the man driving was wearing a baseball cap, and the man pulled out a gun and started shooting. The boys freak out and duck for cover, all but one, JL. According to Moses, jl just slumped over so most likely before he even heard the shots he had been hit just as the tires start giving out from being shot at moses pulls into the parking lot of a 7-eleven which is the convenience store that we referred to in the beginning he gets out of the car and runs behind a nearby dumpster until he sees the coast is clear and then the car drives away the officer asks, did you see the shooter and what did he look like and moses says no what about the car a little car light colored the only thing he offered was the gun. He said that the gun was huge. When asking the other kids, officers don't get much more information. They suspect there's a lot of fear of retaliation. Maybe the kids do know something, but they're scared. Officers needed to go back to the physical evidence at the scene. They find casings that go down a road towards Sierra High School. There were a total of 13 expended 9-milliliter parabellum casings. Forgive me if I mispronounce that word. They can tell that the gun was at least a semi-automatic. Kenda has a new theory. He doesn't think that JL was being targeted specifically. Why wouldn't the suspect wait until he was out of the car so that he wouldn't miss? And that's why he thinks that. Kenda fears that this is just the beginning. Did this killer just start shooting anyone or were they targeting one of JL's friends? Kenda heads over to JL's home. They need to inform the family as well as ask a few questions. So I'm... Wondering now if Julie said anything, the sister? Uh, Obviously not. Joseph Jackson answers the door and starts answering some questions. It makes no sense to anyone. They believe the real target could have been Moses. He was a bad influence and a bad kid. He sold dope and was an instigator. I always forget what dope is. Uh, heroin or cocaine? Those are two very different drugs. Okay, he sold drugs, I don't know. Kenda is not thinking JL just fell into the wrong crowd. Officers learn the name of a potential instigator of the fight, Corey Willis. So now we're talking about the fight again in the lunchroom. Corey Willis is a 17-year-old kid. So they head over to Corey's house, and he is there with his father. So he's a potential instigator, so we're not sure yet if he was involved. Right off the bat, Corey is not cooperating. He has an attitude, he's lying, and he just seems bothered by the whole situation. Come on, dude. Like One of your fellow classmates was murdered. Have a little something. Jeez. Kenda is starting to get frustrated with Corey's attitude, and he says he wanted to slap him. (laughs) Damn. Until Corey's dad steps in. His dad gets in his face. Look, all you do is lie. This time you better not or else you'll end up in jail. You tell these cops what they want to know. Suddenly, Corey has a change of heart, and he tells officers... Tear up your notes. I know who did the shooting. I wonder how long. Corey went back and forth with the cops before his dad was like, "Knock that shit off." Like I just wonder, like how long. <laughs> he said that he was behind Moses's car driving, and then another car swooped around his car, so cut him off, pulled out a machine gun and started shooting at Moses's car. He had been wearing a red baseball cap, and he just kept shooting. Okay so same kind of story not really getting anything new here though kendah suspects the shooter was the instigator of the fight so he asks corey who started the fight at lunch let's finally figure this out because this has to be the shooter corey says it's a samoan guy named matthew Tulatifuga. this group of friends kept making threats to jl moses and his friends but corey says that it wasn't matthew that was driving It was Matthew's brother, Gene. He said, it's his car, I know his car. Gene is 21 years old, but he doesn't go to school with us. So now it's starting to sound like there was a fight that Matthew started, it escalated, Matthew was threatening the guys, and Matthew's brother got involved. Sounds possibly maybe not accurate we're kind of missing some things here Corey explained further matthew is heavier set especially for his age and he gets bullied a lot for this by moses this particular day matt got tired of it and they started arguing moses threatened him and said you are dead after school Mm. so moses is the one that threatened the other kid not the other kid threatening moses fearing the fight matt called his older brother and told him what happened and that the kids drove a blue chevy nova so now i it looks like we're getting the real story and this is beyond what Corey's able to tell us in samoan culture according to the documentary family is everything and actually look at this pillow it says family is forever. It's also a Mexican thing. I know I don't look it, but I am, I promise. Anyway, Jean and Matt had also grown up in LA, so they had been previously exposed to gang life. And Matt and Matthew, um, Matthew, the kid that was getting bullied earlier, their mother had moved them out to the Colorado Springs area in an attempt to get them away from that kind of life. However, when you live in LA, I don't know how Colorado Springs is, but when you live in LA and the Inland Empire, when someone says they're gonna shoot you or they're gonna kill you um they're probably good for it they're probably gonna do it so it's not taken lightly by his older brother gene it looks like gene had no criminal record but from his history in la if someone said they were gonna shoot you they were gonna shoot you that's what i just said he assumed the threats moses made were true from Corey's account it seemed like a case of brother protecting brother however It's still only according to one person, we gotta get more info. Kenda returns to his office and this is when he starts digging more into Gene. Luckily, he is older so running backgrounds is gonna be much easier. Kenda finds out a crucial piece of information. Gene is the owner of a Cobra APM-11. This gun is huge and it has a 32 caliber magazine. I want to look it up because I'm curious and I hope that the government agent looking after my web browser knows that this is for a podcast and if you're watching it on the video version sorry for post editing me later i'm gonna put it right here okay i don't know about it that's not a machine gun like but you know when you're having a traumatic when your brain is creating a traumatic memory it tends to exaggerate certain details of that memory but yeah that's that gun's pretty gnarly He calls the crime lab to compare the gun type with the bullets in the victim's body because remember we know that it was a semi-automatic at least but they're still not sure the exact gun that it belongs to. They get back to him and tell him it is very likely that the gun used was a Cobra APM-11 but they needed the exact weapon in order to know for sure. So they need to have it in custody. Kenda now has enough to obtain an arrest warrant and a search warrant but because of the size of the gun and the suspected crime at hand, kenda and his team need to approach gene with caution. they have to now assume that he will use it on them too. i don't think he would, but it's probably police protocol, but i personally think he was just trying to protect his brother, and he probably doesn't give a shit if the cops come. like, take me. i was protecting my bro. kenda brings along two dogs and makes a note to give the attack command upon entering the house. what? what? i don't like that so um, when i when i if you don't want me ranting skip like a minute or something but i don't like the fact that they use dogs in police force i know they have to but like that's really look at this if you're on video look at this if you're not on video go to my video do you see her do you see her kita look at the camera imagine one of those running at you full speed she's a cop dog hakita she sleeps a lot more than a cop dog but yeah yeah that's kind of scary but they can train these dogs to to threaten like do like the growling thing with one word and then attack with one word and i do not want to be bitten by her so they will give the attack command and hold them on the leash until needed one strategy that kenda used was placing his badge over the shock plate part of his bulletproof vest this way, that if the guy shooting aimed for the badge, his heart would be protected by the vest, the shock plate, and the badge. Wow, that's really good. Officers break down the door into Gene's apartment, guns ready, dogs snarling. There are a handful of people in the apartment. Everyone gets on the ground immediately following commands. Lieutenant Kenda asks, which one of you is Eugene? Oh, Jean, short for Eugene. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Someone on the ground's head nodded toward where Jean was lying they contain him along with everyone in the apartment they start searching the place they look everywhere for the murder weapon but they cannot find it anywhere kenda is certain that it has not been thrown away they start asking Jean and matt questions i guess matt it looks like matt was there too Jean wants a lawyer and matt won't even admit that he's matt <laughs> so how do they know he's matt interesting kita kita i just wanted to show the camera how pretty you are but i have to continue the story now so Please don't knock things over with your big ass. Thank you. They pull Zerma aside. Zerma is Jean's girlfriend. Maybe, maybe she'll talk. After applying a little bit of pressure, the usual, do you want to go down for accessory to murder spiel? She talks. The gun is not here. After the shooting, he came to me and said, we need to hide this gun. I told him we can leave it at my uncle's house for now, where I'm staying. It's not too far from here. Damn. She said... You know maybe he cheated on her and she was like "Oh, let me get revenge or something she was mad whatever you did jean you pissed her off she leads detectives to the home heads into a room with a plastic crate full of clothes goes into one of the crates and underneath the clothes was the gun they would not have found it if she didn't open her mouth i want to know what they said to her maybe they just started dating like a month ago or something who knows kenda sends the gun over to ballistics and they get back to him confirming this is the murder weapon when interrogating gene asking him the why's in the house he stonewalls them he's totally quiet except for the i don't knows. that is until his mother gwendolyn shows up and things take a turn she probably pulled what Corey's dad pulled she asks officers did you talk to my boy they say yeah he did and he keeps asking for a lawyer aren't detectives supposed to like abide by that She asks to speak to him. Kenda allows it because he knows that in Samoan culture, the mother runs the household. It should be all cultures, but that's not my business. As long as I run my household, it is what it is. She goes into the room, slaps him across the face, and says, Start talking. Tell them what you did. Girl. Period. Jean starts crying while she demands that he tells the truth. After this, Jean spills everything. He said, I did it. I was protecting my brother. He told me these kids in a blue Chevy Nova were picking on him and they were going to kill him after school. His intentions were to shoot at the car and scare them, not to kill them, according to him. Which you would shoot at the floor. Like if somebody sees you have a... If they hear a gun, they're going to freak out. I don't really believe this shit. And neither does Kenda. Because the other thing is, why didn't he stop shooting when he saw blood? And why did he follow them into the parking lot to continue to shoot at Moses when he started running? He was not, this was absolutely not a, I was just shooting to scare them situation. No way. With the murder weapon and a confession, Gene pleads guilty to one count of second degree murder and one count of attempted first degree murder. He is sentenced to 45 years in prison. There's this website called findagrave.com. I I go to it when I do these types of videos and it looks like he was born August 23rd 1981 in Colorado Springs and he died on November 9th 1995 at age 14. He was cremated and his ashes were given to a family or a friend. If you guys want to leave a flower for his digital grave you can do that by going to the website and get to know a little bit about the victim a lot of these podcasts about crime that i listen to as well there's a lot of focus on the the killer and understanding why they did what the, they did understanding their the psychology of the criminal and there's a lot there's enough of that listen i'm a psychology major and i want to understand everything but when it comes to people that kill the violence there's just not a need for it you know moses shouldn't have been threatening people at lunch that's really Come on guys like with with all the shootings happening in schools like it's not something to be taken lightly at all and so rest in peace to rest in peace to james leonard jackson and um yeah fuck the killer thank you guys for consuming crime with me today uh, i'm not gonna commit to new episodes because it's gonna overwhelm me but i will do my best to release when i can and um in the meantime, enjoy some older episodes. Let me know anything you want to hear and I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. Yep, that is all.